Hello and welcome to the THP Online Community Podcast. I'm Dallas, your media pastor here at The Healing Place, and we're so glad you've hit the play button today. Whether you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or maybe you just grabbed the RSS feed, we just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to be part of our THP Online Community. If you're new to The Healing Place, we are a church out of Shreveport, Louisiana, and we are dedicated to helping people to discover who they are in Christ. We want them to be who God created them to be, know what he's doing, and to do what he's called them to do. In today's podcast, we're continuing our series, God's Promises, with a conversation about John chapter 16, verse 33, where we hear about tribulation, yet victory. Today, Pastor Scott's going to talk about these things and kind of break it down and give us some very practical advice on what that victory looks like and how you can walk it out. I want to encourage you to really lean in and listen to this message and to really um, take some notes. What is the Lord speaking to you through this message? I also encourage you to share out this message with other individuals who you think this message will benefit, who you think it will encourage. Do me a favor though, don't just blind share it. Be strategic, ask the Lord who needs this message today and send them this link. I also invite you guys to do us a favor and to leave a review on this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It helps to get the word out and let people know uh, what's happening here. All that being said, let's get into today's message. All right, everybody, let's dig right into the word for today, the promise. This week is coming from the book of John. So let's go to John chapter 16. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 33. Now, we're going to be delving into this. We're going to be in John 16 a little bit, but we're going somewhere else to look at a just a real-time example of what we're talking about today and what Jesus was talking about. And today, we want to take a deep dive. We want to, we want to just, uh, we don't want to just edge ourselves in. We want to go all in and take a deep dive. So John chapter 16, verse 33. And if you, you're kind of a title person, I'm kind of a title person. Like when a message, if it's not titled by the speaker, I normally give it a title either after it's over or in the midst of it. But if you're a title kind of person, here's, here's basically what it comes down to today. Trouble and victory. Trouble and victory. Like that's your title. That's the promise. Trouble, victory. And I'll show you what we're talking about. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus is pretty much preparing everybody for when he goes to the cross. He's he's telling them everything they need to know. He's 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 preparing them. Now they they don't really get it all yet. And that's what the Holy Spirit's gonna be for, to remind them of everything that Jesus taught. But in this, Jesus says, John 16, 33, these things I have spoken to you. What things? Well, Jesus says, hey, division's coming. Persecutions are coming. Here's what's going to be happening. Like, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for the world. The world's going to hate you. Um, but that rejection, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to help you. He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to comfort you, counsel you, empower you, all those things. Your sorrow's going to be turned to joy. Um, and then Jesus comes and says, now these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. Like I've given you this word. Why have I told you all these things? So that in me you will have peace. When we read the word of God, what's it doing for us? The word of God is speaking to us. Why? Because in him we can have peace. 
some people think that this promise in 1633 is peace. But it's really not peace that he's promising us here. Here's the promise. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So Jesus doesn't necessarily promise peace here. He offers it. It's like uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had the promise, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, right? Come to me. Well, you can decide not to come to him. You can decide not to have rest. There's a promise. There's an outcome of rest if you come to him. Jesus here is not necessarily promising peace. He's offering peace. Listen, people may believe in Jesus, yet not yet have this peace that Jesus is talking about. There were a lot of people in the Word of God that believed in Jesus, yet they didn't have this total peace. It's almost like you, you, you still believe that the battle is yours and not the Lord's. Listen, Jesus may not have promised peace here, but offered it, but yet he did promise something. Trouble and victory. <laughs> Trouble and victory. Now, that doesn't sound really awesome, like trouble. I, like, I'd rather have the promise of peace. Well, of course we would. But he offers us peace so that if we'll come to him, in him there is peace. So therein is a promise. He offers peace, and if we take the steps, then we get the promise of peace. There's the offer of peace and the promise of peace. Come on, guys, that's a good word right there. There's an offer of peace, and if you take a step, there is then the promise of peace, right? Because when you're still holding on to things and yet you believe in Jesus, there isn't a wholeness there because you're still holding on to things. But Jesus comes back and says, but listen, here's what is going to happen no matter what. There's going to be trouble, but there's victory. Peace is offered. Trouble is promised. And understanding this principle, listen to me, removes false hope. So many times People try to distort and pervert the word of God to make it sound better than it actually is. And then the depth of the truth is made shallow and therefore it's not truth anymore. It's a false gospel. If you want to go deep and deeper in God, it doesn't necessarily get easier. It gets heavier. But Jesus promised this. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you let him go 100% and you give him everything you've got and you turn it all over to Jesus, then here is the promise. And here he says, listen, trouble is promised to you. And when you get this principle, it removes all false hope, all false prophecies and words of prosperity. And you're going to have all this stuff. God wants us to prosper. Yes, but he wants us to prosper in our soul, in our spirit, in our hearts, in our minds. And if we prosper that way, then we will make better decisions. We will make godly decisions. And therefore, guess what happens then? All of a sudden now, first fruit, Man, that goes to you, Lord. You're first in everything. Now the windows of heaven open up, and guess what? He pours out a blessing upon us we cannot contain. It's not about being millionaires and driving nice cars. It's about being prosperous in our spirits so that our mindset changes. Now our words change. Our actions change. All those things begin to change, and now we can truly know what the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives. We are promised trouble in this world, but he doesn't stop there. He says, be cheerful and joyful. Why? Because in trouble, you have victory because I have overcome 
everything. Everything that's coming against you, I have overcome it. Be of good cheer. Be joyful because trouble's coming, but guess what? You have victory in the midst of trouble because I've overcome it all. And in me, you now have overcome it all. There's a quote that says, this statement, meaning this verse, this statement spoken as it is in the shadow of the cross is audacious. He goes to the cross, not in fear or in gloom, but as a conqueror. Listen, in him, we are more than conquerors. How? He has overcome it all. This was an amazing statement from someone about to be arrested, forsaken, rejected, mocked, tortured, and executed. Judas, religious leaders, Pilate, the crowd, the soldiers, not even death or the grave could overcome him. Listen, we're in a war, and and not really as most people think. We're not in a cultural war. We're in a spiritual war. And it would seem that Satan is winning. It's like all these things are happening and evil is just kind of abounding. It's kind of everywhere. Not so because God's plan for me, God's plan for you, God's plan for his church is victory. In the kingdom of God, we are more than conquerors. In the midst of trouble, we are more than conquerors. When trouble is all around us, Jesus said trouble will come, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. I have overcome all those things. Be of good cheer. Be joyful. We do not simply believe what God is saying and what God is doing. We are actively involved in what God is doing and what God is saying. And here's the example we want to look at today. Let's go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14 through 19. 2 Kings. All right, if you're there, say yes in the chat. Come on, let us know you're there. I'm there. If you're journeying there, say I'm almost there. I'm on my way. Whatever it is, whatever path you're on, tell us. Where are you at going to 2 Kings chapter number 13? 2 Kings 13 verse 14. Here we go. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. This is important. And he said, open the east window. So he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. Now, if you're looking at your Bible or you got a pen, a pencil, whatever, highlight that, underline that. If you're on a device, highlight it, bookmark it, whatever. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you will strike Syria only three times. Now, listen, Elisha is about 80 years old at this time. He's been the prophet. He's been a prophet through the reign of four different kings. He's old. He's sick. And this sickness is going to take his life. The word of God is clear. And then here comes this young, inexperienced king, Joash. He enters and he is scared. Why? Because the army of Israel has been reduced to almost nothing. And the king of Syria has said, listen, I have a mighty army waiting, just waiting for you, young man, to be crowned so we can come and kill you. And Joash looks at this frail, sick old man. He falls across his bed weeping. 
the man whom Joash had trusted is about to die, and he feels powerless against the Syrian army. You want to know why it's so dangerous for us to put all of our eggs in one basket with a person? thinking that only they have a word from the Lord, or man, if I could just do them like that, or if I could just fill their shoes. Listen, God did not want Joash to depend on Elisha or to fill his shoes. God had an anointing for Joash. And here's Joash. He feels powerless. Why? Because the prophet is dying. Joash's eyes are not on the Lord. His eyes are on the prophet. And he falls and he feels powerless against the Syrian army because his hope is in a prophet, in a man, not in the Lord. Have you ever felt powerless in a seemingly impossible situation? I have. But there's good news. Now today, the last couple of weeks, we haven't had kind of a point-based message. It's more of an application-based. Today, we kind of have a one, two, three, all right? So there's good news. If you've ever found yourself powerless in the seemingly impossible situation like Joash, There is good news, and here it is. Number one, there is a mandate for victory. There is a mandate for victory. Verse 17 says, Open the east window, and he opened it, and Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot, and he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians till you have destroyed them. The arrow of the Lord's deliverance. He's not just saying, hey, the arrow of Robin Hood or this great archer or whoever, right? He's not talking about that. He's talking about the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. That means that symbolically he's saying the arrow, this arrow represents not an arrow, not how you're going to kill somebody, but the Lord's deliverance. We are not just survivors. We are conquerors. We need to stop thinking, oh, if I can just hold on, and we need to begin to declare the Lord reigns. Let the people rejoice. Listen, the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord. I don't know about you, but I long to see men and women of every age and every background crying out to God. If God be for us, who can be against us, man? I'm laying on the altar. I'm going after God. I'm holding on. I'm banging on this drum and I'm banging on this door until I hear an answer from the Lord. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to strike it down, man. Every weapon that tries to come against me cannot prosper because the battle is not mine. It's the Lord's. Like, where are you? Where are you? Where are those of you that will, hey, I'm not leaving until I get an answer. God, I'm not leaving this altar. I am a living sacrifice. I'm laying myself on the altar. I'm not bringing some kind of sacrifice of some animal or something like they did in days past. I'm bringing myself, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'm laying myself on the altar. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, Lord. Listen, there generally have been three steps to the accumulation of every great fortune. Check this out. One generation generates, another speculates, and the third dissipates. And I am afraid that we have speculators in the church rather than generators. We have speculators in the church, and in 10 to 15 years, you know what that's going to bring? Dissipators. And you know what happens then? There is nothing left. There is no inheritance. The fortune's gone. That third generation doesn't even know the word of God because we haven't passed it on. Because we had a generation of speculators who were just speculating about what might happen rather than generating, rather than doing. A lot of what we talk about here at the Healing Place is about making a move. Take your next step. Go deeper in the Lord, right? Make a move. Every moment, 
there needs to be a movement. For every moment, there's a movement. Every moment, movement. Every moment, movement. Take your next step. But what we end up having is generations who never made a move and they never took a step. They simply speculated about what may happen if I believe in God and what may happen if I get disappointed if God doesn't show up and what may happen. And hey, what the world is saying right now sounds a whole lot better than the Bible. I'll receive that. And now we have a generation fully removed from the word of God and the promises of God. Listen, don't be a dissipator or a speculator. Be a generator. Be one who generates an inheritance for those that are coming after you because we have a mandate for victory, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Second, there is a method for victory. Not just a mandate for victory, but there is a method for victory. Verse 15 says, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. This is totally symbolic, right? Our weapons are spiritual. He's saying the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, that's spiritual. Our weapons are spiritual. They're not in the natural. And guess what our enemy is? Our enemy is a spirit of unbelief. Like not believing that I can pray and something happens. Listen, the word of God is a weapon. Prayer is ammunition. Faith is a shield that protects. Peace is a foundation in your life. And the Holy Spirit, guess what? The Holy Spirit is our leader in this battle, and he is the power. Some of us need to just drop an H-bomb on the, on the enemy. Holy Spirit, <laughs> the H-bomb, boom, you're done. Like, I'm taking the arrows. I'm taking the bow and the arrows. I am not just symbolically, but no weapon formed against me will prosper because I don't wage this natural battle. The weapons of my warfare are not natural, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Notice this in verse 16. Put your hands on the bow, and so he put his hands on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. We are naturally weak. In our flesh, we're just weak. We are. doesn't matter how many times you go to the gym, your flesh is weak. You may have a physical strength, but in our soul, our flesh, we're weak. We need the hand of God. When we reach out for the things of God, those weapons of warfare, guess what? We need the hand of God on our hand. We need the hand of God. We need the touch of God on whatever we're doing. And guess what? Your weakness is an asset. Why? Because the word of God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Notice this in verse 17, first part of verse 17. And he said, open the east window, and he opened it. What was east? Syria, the enemy. What does that mean to me, Scott? Like, I'm not battling against Syria, but you are battling against an enemy. Why is it significant that the he opened the east window because it faced the enemy. You've got to confront your fears. You've got to face your fears. Open the windows to expose your sin and your failure and your defeat, your fears, all those things. Open the window. Let it expose those things. Well, man, I, there's embarrassment. Absolutely. When your sin is found out, it's embarrassing. It is. But guess what? We're trying to live in this freedom and liberty and deliverance, and yet all the windows are closed. We're not facing anything. And God says, open that east window. No, God, you know what's behind that east window. Man, that generational addiction is behind that window. 
man, God, that generational fear that was put on me as a kid, that's behind that window. That abuse, you know, Lord, it's behind that window. God says, open the window. Open the window. Why? Because I want you to face it. Why? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. The word of God says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Whoever's behind that window, whatever's behind that window, Jesus has already overcome them, and in him now you have overcome them. Because why? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Come on, right? Greater is he that's in you. Whatever's behind that window is not greater than he, Holy Spirit, who is in you. Whatever is behind that window is not greater than the Spirit of God in you. That's an overcoming spirit. That's a spirit that, that lays waste to every addictive personality, to every stronghold, to every bondage that tries to come against you. When you open that window and the Holy Spirit is released through you, it lays waste all of those strongholds that try to come against you. And guess what? When the Holy Spirit does that, you will look at that and go, man, why didn't I open that window a long time ago? <laughs> what was I waiting for? What, what was I thinking? How could I think that I could live in total victory that Jesus said he's given me with all my windows closed? Really? Listen, before the victory, you have to open the window. Because remember, peace is offered, but you got to make a move. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's, but you must make a move. So we have, uh, we have the mandate for victory, the method for victory, and then we have the measure of victory. But here's the point. Here's the whole point. The measure of victory is on us. Catch that. Wait a second. I thought the battle was the Lord's, but the measure of victory is on us. Look at verse 18 and 19. Take the arrows. So he took them. He said, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. It was on him. He could have struck a million times. It was on him, but he only struck three times. Why does that matter? Because the prophet gets mad. Why? He says, why did you only strike three times? You should have struck five, six. You should have kept going. Then you would have done it until the enemy was completely destroyed. No way of coming back on you. He would have been laid waste. Syria would have been gone. You measure your own victory. Joash settled for a temporary victory. And the question to us is, do you want complete victory or do you want only enough to just get you by today? Get you past the, the chaos, the chaotic situation. Just get me through this and I'll be okay. Or do you want complete victory, like total victory? Why does that matter? Because God wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we can ask or think. Catch this. According to the power that works in us. What does that mean? That means God's desire for us is exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think, but the measure of it is according to what we allow to work in us. God's given us everything we need. We actually decide the measure. Jesus has overcome the world, all of it. And in him, we can too. But do you want to just get through today? Or do you want to get through tomorrow and the next day and the next day and next week and next month? You won't have to worry about night terrors because you've been completely delivered. 
Next year, you won't have to worry about that thing that keeps sneaking up on you over and over because all the windows are open. Your hand is on the bow. God's hand is on it. God's touching it. You've released. He's given you those arrows, and you're still striking the ground three years later. Not just the day when the, when the emergency happened. Not just the day when the, the, the bill you couldn't pay came. Not just the moment when, when someone in your family was sick and you didn't have an answer and God hadn't healed them. Like you're still striking the ground 10 years out. You want to know why we look at the Elishas of our life and we weep over their bedsides because they're no longer going to be there for us? You want to know why we love them? Because they do something that maybe we're not willing to do ourselves. They keep striking the ground. You know how many dear saints are in churches where people look at them and go, man, why are they still in that church? Why are they still in that church? Man, they would like this one so much better because they're still striking the ground while everybody else has struck it three times just because a chaos happened or somebody said something about them and they went somewhere else. And then they found out that people over there talk the same way and they are the same situation. And they go to 19 different churches and here's what they find out. Ultimately, the only common denominator in those 19 churches is the actual person who left one and went to another in 19. It's you. It's me. We're the X factor. Joe Ash was like, just get me out of this situation. And the prophet was like, really? What are you doing? Like, you don't want the enemy to be utterly destroyed from your life? Why are you so lazy? Strike the ground and keep striking it. And you want to know why the Elishas of our lives, you want to know why we look at them as Elishas, mighty men and women of God? Because they're still striking the ground at 80. They're still striking the ground at 85 from a rehab bed. They're still striking the ground from nursing homes, from, from their own homes, from everywhere. Sunday school classes at 8.30 in the morning when my generation is wondering if praying for rain so I won't have to go to church. I'm just, I'm not being cynical. I'm just putting it out there. Because I do know things. You guys would not even believe some of the things that have been said to us. They keep striking the ground. And they're still striking the ground. And they don't care what anybody else thinks. They don't care what everybody else is doing because their eyes aren't on new programs or new this or new this or what everybody else thinks they should do. Their eyes are on the Lord, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. The measure of victory is on us. These words were written by a young African pastor. They were found in his room after he was murdered for his faith. And I'm quoting this word for word. It was confirmed by, by a veteran missionary who was there and other sources confirmed these are the words that he had written. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present, make, uh, my present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. 
I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Trouble, victory. Here's what that African pastor knew. The promise that Jesus gave in John 16 was there will be trouble, but there is victory in the midst of trouble. What that African pastor knew was this. Peace was offered, and in Jesus, I can have perfect peace. That's a promise. And if I have perfect peace, guess what? That means that in perfect peace, in him, no matter what trouble comes, I can still have that peace. My peace isn't dictated by a situation now. It's mandated by a Savior who is my peace. And in that, there is victory. And so here's where I'm going to leave it with you today. Open the windows. <laughs> Come clean with the Lord. Just open the windows. Whatever is behind there is not greater than Jesus. It's not bigger than Jesus. I'm leaving you with this. Don't just strike the ground three times. Keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. Get out of the boat with both feet. Like some of you, you're, you, you tiptoe. Some of you, even in a pool, like you'll put one foot like on the, on the little ladder and you'll just stand there for a second, even if it's not cold. And then you'll slowly get in. But some of you, you're cannonballers. Like you don't even care. It's like, I don't care if it's cold. Is it heated? You're not even asking any of those questions. You're just jumping in. Well, guess what? Spiritually, we need to get out of the boat with both feet because he will give us the arrows of deliverance. He has overcome the world, all of it. You need nothing or no one else. You should settle for nothing less than complete deliverance and victory. And our question today is, where are the Elijahs? Where are the Deborahs? Where are the Elishas? Where are the Mary Magdalene's who have been delivered from so much and say, you know what? I don't care what the disciples are doing. I'm going to the tomb. I don't care what the disciples are doing. I'm going all the way to the cross. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I have been given so much. And to whom much is given, much is required. Where are you? Elishas, where are you, Deborahs? Where are you, Marys? Where are you? Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I have overcome the world. 
all of it, all the things that you think about that are going to overwhelm you, I have overcome all of it. Open the windows, strike the ground over and over and over and over and over. And just know that when you put your hand on the bow and you get ready to do what I've called you to do, my touch, my hand will be on it. Keep striking the ground, y'all. Keep striking the ground and don't stop. Let's pray. Lord, I just love you and I thank you for your promise today. I thank you, Lord, that you offer us peace. And today, Lord, after hearing all of this, I can thank you for trouble because in the midst of trouble, there is victory. That no matter what comes my way, you have overcome it. And so, Lord, right now, we open the windows of our heart so that the dark corners would be exposed. We face our fears today. We face those things we've not wanted to face. We open the windows and we say, Lord, you are greater than all of that. Greater is he that is in me than whatever's behind that window. We open it today. And Lord, I ask you to heal, to deliver, bring victory right now. For those maybe who have been struggling for decades of fears, abuses, neglect, bad decisions, whatever it is. Lord, I pray for freedom and victory right now over whatever's been behind that window. God, I pray that, that courage would rise up. I pray that passion would rise up in those that are listening to this today, that God, they would begin to keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. They would bang the drum. They would continue to strike the ground with their arrows, not giving up, that they would dive in full on. Lord, I pray that we would never settle for less than full-on, complete deliverance and victory. Lord, I want to say today that the Elijahs and the Elishas, they're right here. Like you're asking me today, where are you, Scott? And I'm saying, Lord, I am right here. I'm striking the ground. I'm believing you for unbelievable things. My windows are open and I am striking the ground, Lord. And I know that whatever I do now, your touch will be upon it. And so, Lord, we thank you for this promise, this word. Thank you that you're greater than all the things that will ever come against us. And we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.